Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. Well, uh, last week we did talk about sex in church. I got a lot of good feedback. I wanted to, to remind you that uh, I was uh, approaching this topic from a, a theological foundational area. I think some of you came, if there was any disappointment, it was, man, I wanted you to get, to get practical. There is no way I'm, I'm giving practical sex advice from the pulpit. I, I Listen, you'll have to go to a different church from that. All right. What I will do is, listen, you can have all the practicalities you want. If you've got a wrong foundation, they, weren't, they won't work well. All right? And what I wanted to gift you with is a very firm theological, biblical foundation for sex in kingdom family. And I hope that you got that. I did my very best uh, to do that. I, I, uh, I, just recapping, if you missed last week, you can go back and listen to it. But here's a quick recap. Number one, sex is good. It was designed by God for covenant between a man and a woman. And in God's design, it is so good. All right? And so that is the main thing. I want to get rid of, uh, you know, all kinds of confusion, and I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm saying that God invented sex, and it existed before before sin entered the world. So in itself, it is not sinful. Outside of God's design, it is maybe the most damaging thing on the face of the planet. And many of us have tasted of that and are wondering why our life just seems twisted and messed up, and this is why. And I think that God's giving us freedom in these days, not to walk in shame, but to walk in repentance and then a lot of joy as our hearts line up with his. And so today we are discussing kingdom family and it is, uh, and we're talking about reconciliation and unity, all right? And it is amazing to me how many Jesus lovers, Jesus followers, Jesus church people, Jesus leaders allow disunity to creep into their hearts. It's probably the easiest thing. It's happened to me. Has it happened to you? See a show of hands on this one. Anybody, don't, don't leave me high. There we go, yeah. Oh, some of us has not. That's really great. We'll have to talk later. That's why I, I've got, to, I, I'll come with my notebook and a listening ear, I tell you what. All right? But I think for most of us, we, we, we operate in a world where we have to follow imperfect leaders. We have to be parented by imperfect parents. We have to be brothers and sisters to imperfect brothers and sisters. We have to, we have to uh, follow imperfect bosses. And we have all these differing opinions. And it doesn't even have to be sinful. It can just be different and suddenly bitterness can appear. It's amazing how we can take something that's not sinful in and of itself, it is just different, and then we, we, we make it sound bad. And you know what? Bitterness starts happening in our hearts, and that going unchecked without, or unsurrendered, I should say, can, can turn you into just a, a, a madman, motivated by frustration instead of love. And I don't know if you remember back, you know, over a year ago, we did a series called Rebuild, and we looked at how Nehemiah rebuilt the wall under God's blessing, and the number one step to rebuilding is making sure that you cry over that which you're rebuilding first. In other words, you hurt over it, you're not being motivated by frustration first, and so much. This is why we have to focus on good leadership, because so many times we see someone that's ready to change the world, but the, the wind in their sails is madness, is anger, is frustration, and it is not love. That is not kingdom. We can't have a church so angry at stuff 
that they have to do stuff. We have to have, be a church that is motivated by God's heart or it is not going to be kingdom. You're going to be building outside of it. And so often we find ourselves caught in the midst of bitterness, frustration, squabbling, tug of war over God's church, over God's family. Yesterday I celebrated 23 years of marriage to my beautiful wife, Adrienne, sitting right over here. I promise you, I'm the one that got, that got the, the great deal on this. I, I just want to, if, if you have any word of encouragement to Adrian for putting up with me for 23 years, I would, I, that's no joke. Uh, please encourage her, hug her, I don't know, slip her gift cards. Uh, she deserves it, I promise. But really what a, a, a celebration of, 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 you know, of marriages is this a celebration of unity over 23 years. You all stayed together. Nobody experiences just complete, you know, coasting over 23 years. It is always hard. It is always difficult. If, if you're married, you know that I'm speaking the truth here. Do you not, right? It is, it is a commitment. It takes something supernatural to do that. And it's hard enough just the two of you. When you then begin having children, you think that these children will help keep you unified, and sometimes it seems like they do, but then they grow up and they start talking, and you're like, oh no, this little person is actually bringing like, argumentativeness and talking back. How do two-year-olds think that they know how to drive? I don't know. So you add kids to the equation, and it gets worse. Listen, anything, any, it, two people are hard enough, anytime anything grows with people, it gets more and more challenging to keep unified because every person has a different opinion, all right, on everything. But I want to tell you, God's dream for his church, listen to this, God's dream for his church, right? I say his church, the Jesus church, his church, he bought us, amen? And God's dream for his church is that, that we would be a unified family, unified if you have children, is it your dream just to have children or is it not also your dream to have those children like each other, right? It's not like if everyone's squabbling and punching each other all the time, you say, hey, listen, this is not the dream. We need unity. We need restoration. If something's happened, let's talk it out. But please, right? So unified family, and I believe that is a dream that comes from God. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, I'm just going to read this to you quickly. Keep your, keep your finger in Matthew 5. Unless you're a fast flipper, then you can flip to Proverbs chapter 6 if you want. But just listen to this for a moment. Starting with verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates. Woo! Wow! Now that is not terminology that we read often. But listen, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Listen to this, though. It starts getting rich and real. It starts describing American church. Like, whoa, easy, easy. Look at verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Or one translation says, one who separates close friends. Wow. Wow. So God hates it when close friends are separated. God hates it when your opinion that you haven't fact-checked on begins to do its damaging work. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this. He goes, I appeal to you, brothers, that there be no division among you, that you be united. Man, this is the heart of God. And it's an appeal from a father. 
This is, this is the Apostle Paul. He's appealing to the church in Corinth, which is much like the Church of America. Don't let there be any division among you. Be united. And then in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, he, he says it again. He says, I'm saying all these things, listen, that there may be no division in the body. Can, I was listening to a pastor uh, speak a message once. It was Pastor Chandi from Life Center, and he said this. It stuck with me to this day. He says, Jesus is not looking to take sides he's looking to take over and so many times we're like hey but I'm right but I'm right but I'm right well you don't know that you, you think that you are right there's how many how many times have we thought we're right but we're actually wrong and what we need to do is we need to lay lay our rightness down it doesn't matter necessarily who's right it makes it, what matters is that Jesus is over it all right Jesus is looking to take over I, uh, I was uh, talking to my, this is years ago, about uh, two or three years ago, my friend Mark Stockland, the executive director of the Haiti Bible Mission, he called me and he said, Nathan, he said, he said I'm out here at such and such a business and I'm talking to somebody. It was a business in Hanover. I, I won't say what it is. I could easily, all right? Uh, but he's talking to the owner of this business and, he's, and he says, hey, the owner of this business here uh, is accusing you of something really, really, really crazy, all right, and, uh, um, and he's sharing it with me because he said he just thought that I needed to know. And so what, well, so this guy, so Mark's at this business, the owner comes out, starts sharing something crazy with Mark, and Mark says, hey, hold on a second. He goes, I'm really good friends with Nathan. I'm just gonna give him a call right now. And the owner's like, no, 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 I just wanted to share with just you. And oh, no, 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 that's, that's not how it works in the kingdom, Stockland says. You, listen, you don't mess with a crazy Haitian missionary, all right, so that they, they don't roll like this, keeping your sin private. He calls me right up. He says, no, he, buddy, in the kingdom, you go right to the source. You didn't go to the source with Nathan. You came to me. That's wrong. He goes, I'm not gonna be the middleman in this one. Hey, Nathan. This guy is saying this about you. Did you actually do this? I'm like, oh my word, Mark. I said, not that again. I said, I've heard that 12 times. I have no clue why people think that about me. I didn't do that at all. They were accusing me of hiring somebody that I didn't, all right? And, uh, and I said, that person is not hired at Providence. And so Mark says, hey, buddy, I'm talking to the lead pastor of Providence himself. He says he did not do that. And the guy's like, Wow. Guys, can I tell you, this is what it's supposed to look like in the body? Do you know the reason cancer and tumors uh, are allowed to be passed through the body and exist is because Mark Stockton is the only person I ever know that has actually done that. When somebody is, is gossiping and maligning somebody else, you don't be a listening ear and help guard their sin. You actually call the, you know what, have you called, talked to that person? No, I haven't. Let's call them right now. And I tell you what, that one with this guy ended like that, all right? The, the cancer that this person spread remains. And I was just dealing with the same thing two years later, last week, all right? I, somebody, I was in Starbucks once and somebody came up to me and said, oh my word, are you Nathan Herndon? I said, I said yes. And this lady said, I heard that you died. She goes, she goes, this is crazy. She goes, she goes, see my friends over here? And I, and I, looked, I looked at a table full of like, uh, like highly caffeinated 50-year-old women, all right? And they're like, ha, ah, they're waving at me and stuff. She goes, we were just talking about how horrible it was that you passed away. 
wow. I said, well, I'm right here. And the lady looks back, she goes, he's right here. And even these people are, these, this, these six women are looking at me and still not believing that the, the rumors aren't true. I'm like, what do I need to do? Guys, the wackiest thing can circulate, can it not? All right? And, and we need to learn how to do this and, and operate in a level of courage that the church lost a while back. And it, it, is, it, it takes no courage to circulate an opinion. It takes a whole lot of courage to call a person, look them in the eyes, not email or write, all right? But look a person in the eyes, not text. Look a person in the eyes and say, you, got, you and I need to talk. All right. So I want to cover a lot of ground this morning on how to do this, but also lay a biblical foundation for this, because this is what unifies the ability to do this, the willingness to do this. And listen, even if you get it wrong, but you're trying in this direction, man, it's going to bring a lot of health to the body. So I want to cover some ground this morning. That's why I had you turn to Matthew chapter five. All right. Starting with verse 23 going to verse 24. It says this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, that's you're in church worshiping, and there, that means in church worshiping, remember that your, that your brother has something against you. That's the need for reconciliation. Leave your gift there before the offer, altar and go. Whew. That's specific. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Guys, can I say this, that worship, and you know, it's great that you showed up here today, it's really wonderful, but worship without reconciliation just doesn't work. Can I just let that hit for a second, let that sink in for a second? If you came in here and you're, you're vehemently or even you know, a little bit aggressive in your heart towards somebody maybe here, maybe somebody in your family. Maybe it's been a long time since you talked to this person. Maybe you're hoping that time heals all wounds, which is not in the Bible at all, all right? Maybe, maybe the, the, you know, the satanic Bible, but it's not in the holy Bible, all right? Time doesn't heal anything. What time does is it, 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 it takes a little offense and turns it into cancer, all right? So... First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The way that I boil this down is worship without reconciliation. It just doesn't work. When I take this, if you have the opportunity to go to church and worship or you have the opportunity to go to your brother or sister and reconcile, I'm telling you right now, reconciliation is first thing on God's heart. Reconciliation in the body of Christ is more important than your gift of worship. In fact, leave your gift right there. It's not unimportant. It's just not first. And go reconcile with your brother. This is really, it's really simple. It's really straightforward. But man, does it take a whole lot of something that we just seem unable in these days to operate in. And the kingdom, this is how it works. First be reconciled, then offer your worship. This is why the Bible also says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And in other words, in other words, just like get to it. If you push it into tomorrow, that's called procrastination. That's too much time for it to fester. Don't let the sun go down. It's just like, like, of all your priorities, put this at the top, get right with your brother or sister, be reconciled, and then live a life of worship. Psalm 34, verse 3 says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. 
I love that because, oh, magnify the Lord. That's what we were doing this morning. This is not, this is not magnify like God is small and we need a magnifying glass and say, oh, look, there he is. He's cuter than I thought, right? It's not magnify like that. It's magnify like God is so massive, like, like a, 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 an intergalactic planet that we need a telescope to see and say, wow. Magnify. We well, look at him like that. He who you know the world feels like God's far off. We get to gaze on the one who's actually near to us through the blood. We're going to magnify him. We're going to lift him up, exalt him for the world to see. That's really our calling. But it's interesting that that magnification of the Lord is supposed to happen in the context of unified family. That's why it says, "Oh, magnify the Lord with me, with me, and let us." Exalt his name or lift his name up together. God, God wants this done not as just a bunch of individuals hiding away from the weirdness of the world, but God wants the church to come together with a unified voice and us and a with factor operating in the body, doing this together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That is the biblical framework. That is the, con the kingdom culture that God wants the church operating in. And I, I, I promise you, this is what the enemy is trying to do. He's, the enemy is trying to say, hey, keep worshiping, just not with them. Keep worshiping. You don't need to just, the enemy is trying to get us to pick up worship and put down reconciliation instead of picking up reconciliation and coming back to worship. It, it matters that it's together. It matters that we're unified. The context for worship is family and unity with, let us, together. That's it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter is saying, but you are a chosen race. He's speaking to the, the, the family of God, bought with the blood of Jesus, that something new has happened here. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. Now that people is plural, not, not a person, meaning an individual, but a people, that's plural, for his own possession, that you, and that you is plural. That you is not talking to the, the, the reader, that you is talking to the, the new royal priesthood, the new holy nation that has been bought and purchased by Jesus. So it's the whole context of the whole thing. It's all the people coming together that you, not you as an individual, but you as God's kingdom family may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the sound the church is supposed to send into the world as a unified proclamation of we, we join our voices in unity and we say to the world, Jesus is everything. Do you know how bad that message that Jesus is everything and he wants you and he loves you, if you don't even want each other anymore, do you know how bad <laughs> that, that comes off? I really think so many people that are rejecting Jesus are not rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the weird pain that they've seen the church operate in. I just say, man, I'm tired of this happening on my watch. I hope you are too. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17 is really intense as well. But it's really practical. Listen to this. It says this, if your brother sins against you, and sins against you that hurts you, offends you, does something wrong, steals from you, maligns you, something, all right? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Man, this is kingdom family. I like this. 
Oh, you mean like if I, if I, how many people we've, we've hurt somebody in our life before? Anybody? <laughs> I, like, like, I, it, listen, it happens daily. Now imagine a world if the person that you hurt actually comes to you instead of going to their mentor for advice. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now that is the goal. The, the goal is reconciliation, amen? The goal is, hey, let's gain one another. We don't need to do this alone. The enemy doesn't have to win here. We got the cross. It's amazing how, how like, the, the cross of Christ, where we're at enmity with God, and, and Jesus wins the day and wins our hearts and brings us into the family. Now, do you know that, that anybody who hurts you doesn't hurt you near as much as you hurt Jesus, and Jesus took you in and paid for you? And then we harbor and we hang the offenses of other people over their heads. There's a parable about this in the Bible, and it did not go well for the person who was forgiven like a trillion dollars, and it would not forgive the 20 bucks that somebody else owed him. They're proving what kingdom they were actually in. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. In other words, they're just proving that they don't know Jesus if this is how they operate. So here's, here's three steps here to, uh, to going after unity, going after res uh, uh, restoration, uh, fighting against offense, fighting against disagreement, building bridges. And here, I'm just going to give all three steps to you at once. Write them down on your heart. Tattoo them if, you have a, if you're a tattooer. All right, step number one, go to the person with grace and humility. All right, that's step number one. Step number two is, is harder. Listen, step number two is this. Go to the person with grace and humility. Now, I know that is hard to remember, all right? But let me get you to step number three. Now, I'm going to say this in the Greek and the Hebrew. I'm going to combine the two. And here's what the third step is. Now, this is crazy. It's the pinnacle of all of it. Number three is go to the person with grace and humility. All right? There's not three steps. There's only one thing. Go to the person with grace and humility. Go to the person. That's, first of all, you go alone. You don't go to the person's friends. You don't get the backstory. You go to the person. Hey, I, I heard this kind of rubbed me wrong. Hey, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank, blank. You go to the person alone. The moment you bring somebody else in, before you go to the person alone, you begin to spread the disease. All right? And many times, it's just honestly, you are offended, but you were just wrong. You didn't have the whole story. You, you cast judgment. You perceive something. Maybe they're having a bad day. They didn't try to look at you like that. They were actually looking at their spouse. You know, it wasn't you. You were caught in the middle. It, was, it, it had nothing to do with you, or you didn't have all the facts. Listen, you don't spread the disease when you just go to the person alone. Then you go to the person Go to the person. You don't go to the person's friends. You don't go to your friends. You don't go to the person's parents. Hey, give me some advice on how to talk to your daughter. Because she's just, you know, she, she, you don't, you go to the person. Well, they don't like me. Well, they won't listen. It doesn't matter how they respond. You go to the person and you try. Who knows what God might do when you just go to them? It doesn't say text the person. It doesn't say email the person. It doesn't say send a lovely handwritten letter to the person. If it bothered you enough to go to the lengths of that, just listen. Let it bother you enough to drive to their house. 
Go to the person with grace and humility, not their friends, not your friends, not any friends at all. You go to the person. Then step three is go to the person with grace and humility. All right? Grace is, it's like you're a racehorse and you're waiting for the sound to be unleashed. And what you're excited to unleash, the race you're excited to run, is the race of forgiveness. The, the grace you're excited to give away what this person doesn't deserve. You're excited, to, you're excited to embrace mercy instead of giving this person what you think they might deserve. You're excited to just break into forgiveness. So you go to the person, and what's in your heart is, I want to be so humble. I, I actually want to think this. As you're driving to the person's house, and you, you're starting to sweat, and your heart's starting to pound, you're like, what am I doing? The enemy's going to try to give you a flat tire. The enemy's going to try to convince you to turn around. The enemy's going to try to say, just call them. The enemy's going to try to do this thing. But what you have to do is you have to, is you have to say, Jesus, be strong for me. I'm going to the person, and I am purposing in my heart right now, I'm posturing humility that if anyone's wrong, it's probably me. This, this kind of world used to exist in the church, all right? If anyone's wrong, it's probably me. I just don't have all the facts, but I'm hurting here. So that's why I'm going to the person with grace and humility. And I hope that when we sit down together, the opportunity for me to extend forgiveness, extend kindness, in the context of humility, extend grace. Man, isn't that the most Christ-exalting thing? If we want to exalt Christ, then we have to extend grace. Our tendency is to justify our position to get frustrated that our position wasn't seen and then to slander and gossip about that person instead of reconcile. I'm going to take your silence today as, wow, the Holy Spirit is just whooping your butts, right? I'm just like, wow, he is after you bad, all right? We, we see this in the, in the Bible. Um, well, we see this in the Bible often. If you read the Gospel of John, do you know how many times people come to Jesus and Jesus is constantly blessing people who are trying to kill him? There's this little, um, it, it, I would say, an unbiblical thing that there's always, a, there's always a, a, a nugget of truth in every accusation. But I would say, I'm not sure that comes from the Bible. Because all of these people accusing Jesus, all right, did not have a nugget to hang their accusation on. Jesus was perfect. Still, if an accusation can come against a sinless, flawless person, an accusation can come against you and me, right? But we see Joseph in the, in the Old Testament. This is Joseph in the Code of Many Colors in uh, Genesis chapter 45 where he has been um, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, human trafficked by his, by his flesh and blood, all right? Lied about on multiple occasions, tossed in dungeons, and just forgotten, all right? Over and over and over, wickedness was done to this man. But the hardest one had to have been his own brothers. He was one of 12. And, and so, and, and 10, of his, 10 of his 12 brothers conspired together out of, out of hurt and pain and you know, jealousy. And they sell him into Potiphar's house in Egypt. But it's interesting, as God begins to elevate Joseph, and Joseph becomes, becomes the second greatest ruler in Egypt. And then, as his brothers are in need of food, which Joseph had the foresight, to 
plan for. Egypt became the, the hub for provision because of Joseph and, and his wisdom and, uh, and him listening to the voice of God. Um, his brothers have to come needing food years later. Are you getting this, this drama here? Listen to this. As they reunite, look at Genesis chapter 45, starting with verse 4, going to verse 8. Man, you guys should read this if you don't know this story, but listen to this. It says, um, actually, I'm going to back up to verse 3 just for a moment. That won't be on the screen. It helps set the stage a little bit. It says, Joseph said to his brothers who are there in need, they're now there in need. This is his opportunity just to, just to blow them up, right? And to shoot the fear of God into their hearts and give them what they deserve. Come on, it's all right. It's easy. It's not what Joseph does. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Man, that they care, man. The first, I'm Joseph. How's dad? Wow. Wow. But his brothers could not, could not answer him for the, they were, and, and this is, this is the, the Bible never gets it wrong, but I'm not sure. The translation here is they were dismayed at his presence. In other words, they, they were wetting themselves. <laughs> they were like, What? What? We've been living for years and years with the shame of what we've done. Now the one that we've done the shameful thing to has power over us. What? Look at verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Now look at his, look how he sees this. Do not be distressed. Like, let the shame go. Let the guilt go. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep you alive, for, for, and to keep alive for you many survivors. Let's look at verse 8 here. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Wow. Guys, can I tell you that even the person that hurts you the most, they, they didn't take God by surprise, and God can still be sovereign over that. All right? He didn't do it to you. All right? But, but, but God is bigger than it, you see. And here Joseph just decides, like this is a healthy heart that says, you know what? In the midst of all this, God was in this. In the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all the betrayal, God was in this. And I, I'm really believing that God was actually setting something up. Even your, your sin was nasty and it hurt me royally, but God was setting me up to actually bring blessing to you. And that is what I actually want. And guys, I tell you that that's the church that I see. I really believe that's the church Jesus sees. If we're going to be a, a Jesus church, there's really no other option, you see. There's no other option. Or how about the book of Philemon? Have you, have you ever read that? It's a, it's a small book right before Hebrews, and it is, um, it is the second smallest uh, book in the entire Bible, right behind 3 John. Here's what's happening in Philemon, is we've got the Apostle Paul, all right, and we all know who he is. Then we've got Philemon, who's, who's a rich church leader, but he's also a slave owner. And then he has a, a servant named Onesimus. Onesimus is not a believer. He escapes Philemon. And I say, bravo, if you can escape slavery, go for it, all right? Onesimus runs from Philemon. Philemon was led to Jesus by Paul, all right? A church met in his house. 
Onesimus, though, has never heard about Jesus. He escapes Philemon's house. He runs hundreds of miles away. Guess who finds him at the destination that he ran to? Paul who led Philemon, his former master, to Jesus. Now he, he runs into Onesimus, and he leads Onesimus to Jesus. And now he's in a quandary, because he's like, you, you, like we've got to restore this relationship. Why do we need to restore a relationship as jacked up as this? Well, it's just because it's the most glorious thing. So he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, imagine it. But now Paul says, I'm sending Onesimus back, not as your slave, but as your brother. Take him in gladly. And in fact, he goes, I'm not gonna hang this over your head that, that you, Philemon, owe me your whole life. I'm not gonna hang that over your head, Paul says. But he says, if Onesimus has owed you anything or it needs anything from you, charge that to my account. Paul says, and receive this man as a brother. Guys, what a weird love triangle. If, we, if, if God can do that with Philemon, and God can do that with Joseph, I want to hear the story where, that, where God, God is just not powerful enough to bring reconciliation in some other scenario. I want to hear it. I've never heard it. Usually what happens is in our pride and in our hurt and in our pain, we love to hold our pain like a trophy and we get to hold it up and we, have, we get to say, look what this person did to me. Look, this person wouldn't listen to me. Look, this person's not doing it the way I would do it. Look. And we show it off like some perverted pain trophy, all right? And that works in the kingdom of darkness, but it does not work in the kingdom of Jesus. That's not how it works. You don't show off pain trophies. You show off redemption, reconciliation, life-changed trophies. So here in the book of Philemon, here's it, you know, Paul models how to do reconciliation. It's number one, confrontation. Confrontation, you, a confrontation hurts so bad. It is so awkward. But it, it, it is not an option. It is the only way. If there's someone who's bothering you, who's hurt you, the only way to do it is a confrontation with that person. Confrontation doesn't mean argument. We haven't really seen good, healthy confrontation. Confrontation is, hey, I'm walking to you. Like, we've, like we read in Matthew, I'm walking to you. I'm going to the person. I'm going to confront you about this issue, and I hope that I'm the one who's wrong. But if I'm not, I'm ready to extend grace, forgiveness, for the sake of unity and the body. Let's not be another statistic for the enemy here, shall we? So confrontation motivated by love. Not, I can't, I'm so right here and that person is so wrong. Schedule a meeting, schedule a meeting. I'm going to have a confrontation. I'm going to show this person how wrong they are, how I'm right and they're wrong. That never ends well. That's how an argument happens. You've got to see my point and see my point and see my point. So the, the whole point, the whole motivation behind this is to help someone who's hurt you see how they've hurt you, how they're wrong. The point in your heart is not extend grace. Extend grace. How can we forgive? Let's, how can we forgive? You've hurt me? Okay, let's extend grace. Let's hug. Confrontation, motivated by love, handled with grace. Listen to this. Philemon, chapter 15, just gonna read this. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might, ha you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. This is, man, this is Paul being such a dad. Look at verse 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is how leaders operate in the body. All right? They didn't use stages to tell everybody how, about how they're wrong. Dads, moms, in the body, in the kingdom family say, listen, whatever they've done to you, I will pay for that. I just want to have you guys okay together. Can we can, receive him back? Receive him back. And I'll pay for the damage that's done. This is how it happens. Confrontation, motivated by love, handled with grace, makes much of Jesus, makes less of us. Listen, I'm ready for less of me in the church and more of Jesus in the church. Like somebody get Pentecostal today or I'm going to start screaming, all right? Somebody, okay? Right? We've got to have less of us and our opinions and how we see it and how I would lead her. If I was, a, if I was, if I was, and we're actually, listen, there's so many times we've got to get the voices out of our head, which are probably demons, and probably telling us stuff that's not even true. And we're forming, we're forming opinions of people that we haven't talked to outside of our brains. So, so many of us, we have, we have false offense that was demonically inspired but didn't actually happen, at least not that way. And when you actually go to the person, you sit down, you look him in the eyes, and you see the image of God on their life. This would be a great time for the keyboard right now because I'm really, this is, but when you see the image of God on their life, guys, and you look him in the eyes, that is when your heart can start seeing them like Jesus. And the problem is it is easy to feel weird behind a computer. Man, oh, I was going to read that to myself. That, well, that was really good, buddy. And you're talking to yourself. It's so, so strange. Like, uh, and you're typing away, and then you hit send, but you never saw the person in the face. E even even uh, Zoom calls, it, it like, misses the person's soul. All right? Th there's some digital thing of the person's face, but you actually miss their heart. All right? Look them in the face, hoping grace can be extended. With love in your heart, you confront them, not your or their friends. I just want to say this. If you want to be a leader at Providence, like I, I've been bound, bound, uh, banging this drum, um, you've got to be ready to be first to forgive. It is the only way that you can lead well. So leaders are the ones that get attacked first. Someone in, in, our, in our hurting hearts, somebody has to be in trouble. Somebody has to get the blame. And usually it's the leaders, all right? That's their fault. Look at that. You know, you don't have to know all the story. You don't have to know anything. And so, but, but here's, what, here's what leaders do in the kingdom. Here's what parents do in the kingdom is they don't fight for who's right. They fight for the glory of Jesus. Hey, if I can ask your forgiveness for that at all, I will. Hey, how can we build a bridge here? It's just sitting down. The heroes are the first to forgive. The heroes aren't the smartest who can cock the greatest defense of their argument. The, the heroes are the ones that are saying, hey, I know that hurt you. And I, listen, I, I didn't try. I'm glad you came to me. Let's be friends again. Extend, well, I'll extend you grace. Will you extend it to me? Say, no, I won't. Well, you just at least need to know on my end, we're good. And when you're ready to walk back in here on your end, you're ready to forgive me. Man, my door is going to be open. That is that, listen, this is, not, this is not business. It's not like, hey, fired, 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 out, out, out. You're in my way, you're in my way. That is not leadership in the kingdom. Uh, leaders in the kingdom act like moms and dads fighting for unity of the body. Last, I was in uh, Florida in March 
took my son there for like a, a, a man getaway, like a becoming a man weekend. My brother Philip and I were there. We met up with my other brother Jordan and my dad and a bunch of other men that uh, I've given my son Ethan the green light to listen to their voice. We sat in a room for two hours and we just spoke into his life and he just listened and he took notes. I was proud of him. But on the way down, um, we were in the uh, express lanes uh, in, in uh, Orlando and Jesus told me that I could go 80 and so I did. I was just, just like, to, I had no car topper on. I was like, this is great. Like, just, going down 80 in the express lanes. Well, um, this, uh, have you guys seen the new Mach 8? Right, have you seen the, is that the, the Ford Mustang Mach 8, the electric one? Pretty sweet. It comes up, it was a silver one. It comes up just like, just like blowing by us. So like, wow, I looked in the car and like, I, I was like, a, I don't know, like a 70-year-old lady driving the thing. I'm like, you go, girl. Whoa, yes. Wow. So we're in our Ford Expedition. She's in her Ford Mach, whatever it was, Mach 3 or whatever. It's Mach 3, not Mach. It's a Mach something, all right? And so she's blowing by us. And then, this, listen, a blue like 1997 Ford Focus <laughs> blows by me and comes right up on her tail. She's in the passing lane. Like Now, first of all, I just want to see the supernatural power of God when a 97 Ford Focus wants to pass a brand new Mustang. Like, wow. But it was a young lady. It's like right on her tail. And what happens? She, she, when, the, when the Mustang didn't pull over in time, she got angry and she whips into the lane right in front of us, all right? And then goes around and whips into the lane right in front of the lady, but she didn't clear the lady in the Mustang and she clipped her. She goes, she, she bounces off the median and goes flying, lands right in front of us. I don't know if you've ever locked up brakes fast at 80, but I did that and we missed a massive accident by an inch. Her car was totaled and on its side. Um, the other lady was just dazed and confused. And I, I, I remember just watching that literally carnage right in front of us. And I'm just like, it was so unnecessary. You're not going fast enough. I'm so angry, pulling around, whipping around. Listen, when, when life is done with that rashness and you're motivated by frustration, I, I promise you, there's going to be carnage somewhere. And if carnage keeps following you, listen, look in the mirror, grab your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to point it out. Why is this wreck here? What is going on? I remember driving off. I remember seeing this teenage girl who pulled in front of the, the lady in the Mustang. I remember seeing her just rocking and crying and screaming, like, what have I done? Guys, like this is, listen, what you've done is you've, you've operated, instead of love and grace, you've operated in a way that is inconsistent with the kingdom and hurts other people, including yourself. And you kind of took some innocent bystanders almost out with you, except by the grace of God. All right? Man, how many innocent bystanders have been sucked into our pain unnecessarily? It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm tired of this in the church. Anybody else like to, or, or is something, something happened, you were like, I'm not on my watch, Satan, right? So just today, you know, I want to encourage us to do something. I'm going to wrap this up, and I do want the, uh, the prayer team. Could you come up right now? Because if you've got physical tumors, you need to come up today. But if you've got spiritual ones, you need to come up today. 
and you need to let somebody pray with you that you would have the courage to have the conversations that you need to have. So listen, the tumor of bitterness can come out. It has to come out. We say, come out in Jesus' name. We're tired of you in our church. We're tired of bitterness, bitterness ruling the day. We're tired of seeing people through a screen that is unnecessary. We're tired of this. It's got to come out in Jesus' name. And so I just want to encourage you guys, if you're here today and you've got a bitter heart, why don't you stand your feet for a moment? I want you, everybody in the, in the house, just stand your feet for a moment. We're just going to stand into a new season. The sun is setting on the old and we're going to stand to a new and we're going to walk out of here today without bitterness in our hearts. So Heavenly Father, I pray for every single person in this room that whatever is bitter in their heart, whatever they're harboring towards anybody else in this room or at home or at work or anywhere, we pray that today would be a day where we begin to stand and walk in the direction of your heart and that we would not be a, a, a Jesus church is not perfect, God, but our heart is at least desirous of what yours is desirous for, and that's a unified church that loves people, motivated by love. Confrontation would happen. Love would be raised up. God, that the, the talks that need, to be that need to be had would happen, and that you would just touch your church. God, I just pray that, Lord, in all of our imperfection, we would get it right here, and there would be nothing between us or at any other church for that matter that preaches the name of Jesus. I bless these people with your heart right now. And I bless me with your heart right now. We wanna walk in it no matter how hard it is. We just receive your heart in these days. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app, or visit us at providencecommunity.org.